Hi, and welcome to Be The Flagship with our podcast host, Jeff Parsons. This is where we tackle the day-to-day talent management challenges you face, particularly in hospice and small healthcare organizations. And now, over to our host. Take it away, Jeff. Hello, and welcome to my podcast called Be The Flagship. I'm your host, Jeff Parsons, and the topic for this episode is Embracing a Strategic Staffing Model. Okay, and today we have with us a guest speaker. His name is Anthony Pantaleon. He's Vice President of Sales for Telexus. Anthony has over 30 years of experience in the employee assessment industry, and his extensive career spans the disciplines of channel partner management, consultative sales, and strategic account management. He's dedicated to constant and never-ending improvement to add value to his clients, colleagues, and the communities he serves. Anthony has worked with many organizations across diverse industries around the world. He leverages his certifications in many behavioral assessments, and his passion is to utilize workforce information to empower clients to achieve better business results and help individuals contribute at their highest levels. Anthony is a Rutgers University School of Business graduate, and he's working on his master's in HR management at the Rutgers School of Management and Labor Relations. Telexis is extremely fortunate to have the experience, wisdom, and drive Anthony brings to the leadership of their organization. So, Anthony, thank you for joining us today, and welcome. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate your introduction, and uh, it's great to be here. Great. So, um, the title of this episode is Embracing a Strategic Staffing Model. And, you know, it may sound as though it's strictly an HR topic, uh, or it may sound as though it's very high level. But so our challenge today, Anthony, is breaking this down. It's not just an HR topic, it's a leadership topic. And so, breaking this down to a degree where people understand what it is and how to apply it's going to be really important today. So again, thank you for joining us. Uh, I have a number of questions to ask you. I guess the first one is, what is a strategic staffing model and how does it differ from more traditional staffing models? Oh, sure, Jeff. So in my experiences, most of the time, like a traditional staffing model, focuses a lot on intuition and the interview process. And I find that in my experiences and interactions with many different um, individuals and organizations that it's it's very much based on how well someone interviews. And then you have varying degrees of, of interviewing skills throughout an organization. So that's that's a real variable. And a lot of times there's a lot of unconscious bias so individuals you know we all have filters we all have this unconscious bias whether we admit it or not and that runs out through our interview process through the way we assimilate the information in the interview so when i work with companies we, we really start to talk about a strategic staffing model and a strategic staffing model you know flips that over and it looks at the whole process with more data, more more information to make better decisions. Okay, so what would you identify as the benefits to the org- to an organization of uh, implementing a strategic staffing model? What do you see the benefits to be? Well, the, the 
the desired benefits will come in many forms, tangible and intangible. So the, uh, the, 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 the forms that are kind of like easily recognized would be moving the needle when it comes to retention and performance. I mean, those are, those are really like common key performance indicators that you'll, you'll, you'll influence through this type of process. And then you'll also see positive indicators when it comes to you know, improving engagement and morale. And then there's those intangibles, Jeff, the intangibles of just, you know, walking down the halls or just interacting with people. And there's, there's that energy mm-hmm. and there's that vibe, you know, if, if it's, you know, a traditional, you know, type of, um, you know, office structure where, you know, people are, are in the office or whether it's remote and you're just interacting with people, there, there's just that energy. You just feel it when you engage with people. And, you know, I think that's, that's a real intangible. That's like that, you know, that goodwill that it's hard to put a a value on that, but you know, it's there. All right. And, and it's, it's just something that, you know, you'll, you'll start to um, see in an organization feel, and it's like an, an exponential factor. I gotcha. Interesting. So what are the components of a strategic staffing model, Anthony? Well, so there's six of them, Jeff. Um, I'll I'll take you through them. Um, So the first one really starts with, it's it's focused on the future, Mm -hmm. right? So it's focused on the current or not too distant business strategy. So what are the differentiated behaviors that need to be enabled in order to execute the organization's strategy mm-hmm. and drive superior performance okay with the intent for the organization to be competitive in their market because okay. I mean that that's that's kind of first and foremost and that's typically you know a, you know an evolving type process for every organization every industry but you know when it comes down to it, differentiated behaviors create the experience that we're all after with whoever we do business with and Mm -hmm. every every client that i'm working with those are the the intangibles again okay and then the the second component is the the model is strategically focused on aligning people with roles so it it, it encompasses Mm -hmm. job fit and it also encompasses organization fit or, or culture fit. The, uh, the third item, and this is really important and that is it's management driven. And what I mean by that is you have all stakeholders from the top of the organization committed and this commitment cascades down through the organization. So the whole entire organization is on board with this model and there are no deviations. So we're not we're not we're not allowing or we're, we're not supporting someone who you know wants to go back to hiring with their gut or hey I I know this person and let's let's kind of circumvent the process because they're they're a good person right um, we're not allowing yeah. for that so that's really important. Okay. So when you say management driven, Anthony, you're referring to top level management, correct? Yes, Jeff. I mean, you know, I, I've had situations where, you know, I'm, I'm interacting with a new client and, and a, 
a process like this is being entertained by one person, you know, someone, you know, an, an, probably an HR person, an right? HR leader, a talent acquisition leader, and they have good intentions, but then all of a sudden right. it gets shot down when they start to socialize it. Um, or mm -hmm. people within the organization support it kind of, sort of, and it just, right. it, it just never takes off. And, and I've seen mm -hmm. this model produce, you know, great, great outcomes, sustainable outcomes, consistent outcomes. And then I've also seen it just die on the vine because you don't have that commitment across the organization. So it, it, it needs to happen. Um, you just need to have that type of, uh, you know, overall organizational commitment. Yeah. And, you know, my experience uh, for things like this is once it becomes an HR project, then it's, it's sort of dead on arrival. I mean, HR is pushing a rope uphill, right? You just, once the yeah. top leaders say, well, now, HR, you go run with this and do it, then, uh, you know, that's a serious issue. It has to be an organizational strategy, right? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, um, so the, the the next component of the model would be you're you're able to integrate the information throughout the human resource management process. So you're not just operating with you know objective data in one segment. So you're not just using it for selection, but you're able to use it and pull it through mm. all the other disciplines. So selection, coaching, development, career pathing. You're able to, to really leverage that information so that everyone has like a common language and a common point of reference. Okay. And then the next uh, component is is really important. And I think, you know, you would agree with this, Jeff. I mean, regardless of the size of an organization, HR and, and any, any business process needs to establish and maintain metrics. So, Amen. Right. so having HR yeah. metrics enables us to have baselines and, you know, whenever we have baselines, then it creates an accountability, uh, right? So, so nowadays everyone's wearing a wearable device. I mean, I have, I have two on me right now. I have a ring and I have a wristband and I'm tracking, okay. I'm tracking sleep, I'm, I'm tracking steps, I'm tracking HRV. And when I started to do this uh, over a year ago, yeah, and I started to look at my 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 analytics dashboards, which is kind of a segue for the next point, but uh, we'll get we'll get to that shortly. But when I started to look at my different dashboards, and I understood, okay, so here's where I am with my current behaviors. Now, what behaviors do I need to modify to create different outcomes? So, you know, and I, now I have a, a, a pad on my mattress that adjusts my temperature all night so that I'm not, I'm not getting up because I'm too hot or too cold. So all of a sudden yeah. my, my scores improve, my deep sleep improve, my REMS uh, score improve, right? So, so without those metrics, <laughs> I wouldn't be motivated to make adjustments and commit to making improvements. So, so really to have this constant and never ending improvement throughout the organization, specifically within HR related activities, if you're not measuring 
your most important asset, your people, and creating metrics with people and understanding, you know, what are the ranges of certain attributes that drive behaviors that drive consistent outcomes? So what are they? Are we just always speculating and are we just always like thinking that we, we all have our own perception of what those behaviors are, but yet if we all have them, they're all going to be slightly different. Well, if you establish a metric mm -hmm. on a certain behavior and you say, hey, this metric says that we need this level of, you know, take, take charge. Okay. Um, and this level produces this type of consistent behavior, then <clears throat> we know we've just found the secret sauce. Okay. Now we have an HR metric. Now we can, we can duplicate that. So then the, the analytics part of that now, Jeff, is when I see these metrics over time, what are they telling me? What are the outcomes? How do they produce, how do they contribute to retention? How do they contribute to performance? So now we start to see those trends and um, that's really the, the entire process. So it takes into account all of the analysis and the buy-in throughout the organization. Um, well, and, and so for our listeners who hear that and say, wow, it sounds like a lot of work, how would you respond to that? Well, I think anything that is worthy in the workplace and even, even in our, our daily life, um, anything that is worth anything <laughs> requires, requires work. It requires hard work, right? There are no shortcuts to life. Right. Um, and this is no different, but if you're looking to become, a, you know, a, a, an employer brand in the marketplace, if you're looking to, you know, contribute to your, your firm's competitive advantage and you're not doing this when it comes to your mm -hmm. talent and people, you're missing out. Well, yeah, I, I agree. In a couple of episodes, uh, back I focused on succession planning, and it's the same principles. If you're not tracking data uh, and you can't report on data, uh, you know, how do you know when a person's ready to make that next move? I mean, and so organizations oftentimes find themselves making battlefield appointments, and then they scratch their head when that person fails. It's because they really have not measured the things that are most important for that higher level role. And so you place a person in that role uh, who's not ready for it and you set them up to fail rather than be successful. Successful. And so what I'm hearing is that this process, these components, when you pull these things together, together what you're doing is setting people up to be successful within the organization as opposed to failing. Yes, and, and here's a, a really relevant story from a, a client engagement and um, we, we worked through this process with a client mm -hmm. and I was with the uh, leadership team and we were assessing the results of um, their management team and we saw one manager who scored uh, you know not as extreme in the uh, take charge construct the take charge attribute and okay what what we started to do is we started to talk about well, what's happening? And and a lot of the uh, senior leaders said, 
wow, so that's why this person is shying away from these behaviors and they're not holding their team accountable and they're doing the work for people rather than communicating the directives to people for the people mm-hmm. to do the work, right? For the team to do the work, right? So that's what was happening. Right. The manager was getting burnt out. And okay. when they went through this exercise, they now had a construct. They were now able to quantify the construct and understand that this person was really an outlier when they looked at the whole team. And now they understand the cause of the behaviors. So now, you know, now what do you do with that? Well, you use it constructively versus destructive. And constructively is now you t- they talked about it and they said, wow, well, what would happen if we took this person out of managing a large department with people and then put them in a department where they're managing things? Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't lose their, their symbolism in the company. They don't use, they don't lose their hierarchy. Uh, but they gain more confidence, more happiness, less stress because they're naturally inclined to that type of department, that role. And it, it worked wonders because the person was relieved and they were performing at a higher, higher than expected level performance because they fit the role. The organization was thrilled because they were getting their desired outcomes. And mm-hmm. everyone kind of like, you know, you know, went down the road happily ever after, <laughs> but it was, it was really the result of going through this exercise right. and, you know, energy flows where attention goes. So they were able to understand and then ask themselves, you know, challenging questions. So what do we do with this person? How can we set this person up to succeed? And now they had a conversation point that was backed by data and it gave them you know, a real like enlightenment that they, they just didn't have up until that point. Wow. Sounds like a real uh, success story. So um, thanks for that, Anthony. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. At Flagship Talent, we work with our clients to find and place the right talent. What do we mean by the right talent? We mean we find talent who will commit to your organizational goals and align with your values and behavior expectations. Talent who will perform to your expectations. Talent who will stay and grow with your organization. How are we different from our competitors? We offer the lowest fee structure in the industry. We offer the best talent guarantee in the industry. We provide selection and interviewing support to our clients at no additional fee. We want to save you money, deliver high quality talent, become an extension of your organization, and be your preferred provider of talent acquisition solutions. To learn more, contact Jeff Parsons by email at jeff at flagshiptalent.com or by phone at 1-800-530-4189, extension 101. Okay, we're back uh, again with Anthony Pantaleon, and we were talking about data and analytics-driven processes, and you had just provided us a really cool success story where you had taken a manager who was struggling, and based on the data uh, that, that had been gathered, realized that that person was not a good fit for that role, so moved them into a role where they were a better fit, and they were and they were successful. And so what you did was take a person who was failing or struggling, and then you set them up 
to be successful. So that's that's a great example. Anything else that you'd like to add uh, regarding the need for data and an analytics-driven process, Anthony? Well, you know, when we talk about that, Jeff, we're really standing on the shoulders of a real visionary in uh, Peter Drucker when he right. once said, right, what gets measured gets managed. Right. And I mean, this story, this illustration that I, I just mentioned about data and how we datafy ourselves personally, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's just a great representation of that statement. So when you're able to start looking at people with specific data and, and, you know, through psychometric, you know, testing and assessments, you're able to measure human behavior. I and mean, that's really what psychometrics is all about. So now you're taking something that ordinarily, you know, wasn't quantified and now you're quantifying it to establish these, these anchor points to then look at trends and then see how you can you know, move the needle with these trends through analytics. Okay. Excellent. So for those listeners who are contemplating implementing a strategic staffing models, what are the steps, Anthony? Well, I I really you know believe that management buy-in is extremely important, Jeff, and I, and I think you would agree based on our conversations because mm-hmm. if you have that, everything else falls into place. If you don't, then you're you're really just you know like like you said you know. Um, you're trying to push a rope, right? You're trying to push, mm-hmm. you know, do something that is going to meet resistance. So if you have management buy-in, then it'll be a pull, you know, versus a push. Right, right. Okay. Um, so management buy-in would be that first step. So let's say you have the buy-in and you're ready to go to that next step. What does that look like? Well, um, so... Once we have buy-in, then I would say, now let's let's conduct and let's embrace a process to to measure all these components. So let's take a look at you know what type of psychometric assessment can we use to look at job fit and organization fit. What type of psychometric assessment can we use that? has a utility across broad applications, meaning selection, coaching, development, career pathing. Um, and let's also be really focused on simplicity, but yet mm-hmm. it's comprehensive. So so this is something I see a lot is over you know the time I've been in this industry, the industry has evolved into being almost like overly complicated because then that demands, um, you know, greater value in the marketplace or, or, or you know, right. higher pricing. And that's great. I mean, there's a, there's a new right. application for that. But for the majority of applications, especially the SMB type organization, right, small, mm-hmm. mid-sized business, you need something that's sim- mm-hmm. simplistic, cost-effective, but yet it provides deep enough data to make important decisions. So it's not just kind of surface level data where it's really kind of almost like it's it's just, it's just you can't act on it. So you need that type of simplicity. So you, so you, you have the opportunity to get that cascade effect through the organization. So even if you have stakeholder, senior level buy-in, now you have to cascade that down. And if you have a tool 
that is overly complicated, you won't get that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's another important attribute. And then um, once, once you're able to find a tool that you know, meets all this criteria, then you know typically, you know, starting out and conducting like uh, some type of talent audit where you're assessing the organization, letting everyone experience it, and providing everyone with meaningful insights for uh, self-awareness and social awareness and task awareness. So that can be a really powerful exercise that you can, you know, mm-hmm. like evolve in the organization and get a lot of buy-in. And then, then you know, really form the foundation for using this with, you know, external hires. And, right, so then you're embracing this entire process. So uh, let's play this out. So you're assessing this organization or this group of people, but doesn't there have to be some type of baseline measure that you're comparing the results to? Uh, otherwise, how do you align that and determine whether the person's a fit or not, or or in what areas did they need to uh, develop? Yes, Jeff, that's a uh, a great point. So typically, when when you know if an organization chooses to assess everyone internally, then that helps us to understand those baselines and understand you know where. Where are the like like clusters of behavior by role so you can establish the job fit profiles? And then what does the organization okay. look like as, as an entire group for culture fit? So so really, you know, that process serves, you know, really two values. It it helps you to provide immediate feedback to everyone who participates and get buy-in. But then it also helps you establish the models for the future, so it becomes you know future focused. So now, mm-hmm. as you use it for selection, you're comparing your candidates to the job and the culture. So thanks for asking that question, so I could elaborate on that. <laughs> sure, and and that's how it feeds into the recruiting process as well. I guess you know once you have those baselines, then uh, you can assess you know prospective new new hires against that criteria. Absolutely. And, and, you know, even when you look at perhaps updating job descriptions and you, you look at mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the knowledge, the skills, the abilities, and, and other characteristics, I often find that a lot of times the results you uh, gain from a psychometric assessment help in understanding and bringing more clarity to mm-hmm. the abilities part of your job analysis. So, you know, the abilities typically help you understand how someone is going to apply the knowledge and skills. So now you can really understand that part with more measured clarity. Okay. You know, excellent. And, uh, and, you know, the listeners may hear this common thread in, in a number of the podcast episodes, uh, that I'll stress. And it sort of takes, this process that sounds a bit technical, but it's not, and, and translate that into, you know, uh, the human being, right? And and each of our employees, have, you know, they walk around every day with this bucket. I call it a bucket of discretionary effort. Uh, they all know what performance expectations they must meet to keep their bosses off their back, right, or to keep the organization off their back. And, and, and so... Once you have a process for establishing the best fit for an employee, 
you set them up to be successful. When you set them up to be successful, you know, they're happier, right? You you have an opportunity to improve employee relations or the level of morale in your organization. And so by doing that, it gives you as an organization, as a leadership team, the opportunity to tap into that employee's bucket of discretionary effort. That's the going above and beyond what's required for them to do their jobs. And and they don't have to give that to you. In fact, you have no idea how much discretionary effort they have in their bucket, right? And, and so this gives you an opportunity. And the more you can tap into that, you know, the more positive they'll do within the organization and helping you drive your strategic objectives. Because they'll use that discretionary effort, either give it to you to help improve organizational performance. They'll give it to their hobbies. They'll give it to volunteer organizations, or they'll use it uh, for evil instead of good, you know, to to uh, create toxicity in, in the workplace. So what you want to do is tap in as much as you can to that employee's bucket of discretionary effort. And it all goes back to I'm in a great place. I'm proud of who I work with. I'm proud of the employer. I'm, I'm proud of the organization. And they work with me to make sure that I'm a good fit within this job and I have every opportunity to be successful. Yes, you're set up to win. You're set up to win. And that's the promised land, right? <laughs> so, you know, there's also another uh, ancillary benefit, and that is it, when the organization truly embraces this type of information and data and uses it for good, to your point, it becomes mm-hmm. an extremely focused coaching tool because if you're able to bring awareness from the manager's point of view and then the manager becomes equipped with the insights to be a better coach, the individual will be more receptive to the coaching and more likely to embrace and apply it and you know, we, we, I always coach my clients on that framework. What is, what can we do differently from a self-awareness standpoint? So what are we learning about ourselves? And then how is that impacting others? So there's the social awareness. And then what can we do differently from a task awareness standpoint? So if you, if you use those three guidelines in your conversations for ongoing coaching mm-hmm. and development, and you're able to use it, objective data from an assessment, you'll have like a windfall of aha moments to impact everything we just mentioned, morale, performance, retention, which ultimately impact the, uh, you know, our, our customers, our clients. Gotcha. No, that's an exceptional point. So Anthony, uh, to wrap up the discussion, it has been a great discussion, but if you had one final message for our hospice and other small healthcare listeners, what would it be? Well, for, for one, I commend everyone who is in this industry and I'm sure they're drawn to the industry because of their hearts and, and compassion to help people and families through an extremely challenging time. So, you know, I, I just, I, my, my heart goes out to everyone from that point of view, because, uh, experiencing this, you know, personally myself, it's, uh, it's challenging and, and, uh, the right people make all the difference, uh, in these situations. So I would say in, in closing, Jeff, you know, consider just a crawl, walk, run approach. I mean, the strategic staffing model is something that a lot of organizations 
evolve to. And if it's if it's in your sights and you you begin slowly and begin to embrace it and get that buy-in through the organization, then it will evolve into something really great. And you know, when you have the right people in these sensitive roles, it, it naturally embraces like a, a patient-centered approach. And um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it it makes all the difference in the world when organization, you know, in the hospice industry are able to you know understand what this secret sauce is and then replicate that right. over and over again because it'll mean the world to, you know, the patients and their families. Got it. That's great. Thanks, Anthony. Um, and for the listeners who may want to uh, get more information uh, about a strategic staffing model and, and what they can do to begin that adventure, uh, would you mind providing your contact information? Well, sure, Jeff. Uh, so I think the easiest way to contact me would be my um, my number, and it's 254 254- okay. 206 3976. And I know um, I, I do get a lot of text messages more than phone calls. I think that's just how our society is nowadays with communication. But, uh, you know, I'm open to texting. Uh, that That's fine. That number is, is available for that. And uh, that's probably the best place to start. Okay, so Anthony Pantaleon at 254-206-3976, correct? Yes. Great. Anthony, it has been a great pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you so much for your contribution, and you have an open invitation. You're always welcome. Oh, thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate that. Okay, don't go away. We're going to take a quick break. And then we're going to be back for something I know you just can't wait for is Jeff's moment to laugh. Are you in need of interim HR support? Would you like to transition your performance management process to a performance development process? Are you interested in implementing a robust succession planning process to create an internal talent pipeline? Need a wage survey or an employee satisfaction survey? We have over 30 years of HR and talent management expertise. Let flagship talent solutions help you today. To learn more, contact Jeff Parsons by email at jeff at flagshiptalent.com or by phone at 1-800-530-4189, extension 101. Okay, the moment you've all been waiting for, Jeff's moment to laugh. So this nurse enters a room of a difficult patient, uh, and he wants to find out if he's still ill. Uh, At the moment, the nurse already has the results of the examination. The nurse says, I'm afraid I have some bad news. You're dying and you don't have much time, the nurse says. The man says, oh no, that's terrible. How long have I got? Ten, says the nurse. Ten? Ten what? Ten months? Ten weeks? What? He asks desperately. The nurse says, 10, 9, 8, 7. I kill myself. See you next time.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Be The Flagship with Jeff Parsons. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did like it, please subscribe and share with others. Until next time, take the step to become the flagship in your marketplace.